0: amen you can be seated we'll dismiss the uh, school-aged kids to uh, the back where they going with mr. John and miss Heather there Greg and Betsy all right I feel like uh, the sickness season has kind of set in um, I know my wife and uh, two of my kiddos are out with the flu, so if I'm giving you uh, knuckles today instead of shaking your hand, that's why, just in case, it might get from me to you. Um, I feel good, um, so we'll see how this, how this goes. I know we have several texts this morning of people um, who had to find replacements because of the, I guess we're just in that season. I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles to uh, Proverbs chapter 30, um, or maybe um, people are just missing because they knew we were talking about money today. That's also a reason... That, uh, that people might. We are talking about money, and Proverbs talks a lot about money. Now, we started in Proverbs. What we wanted to do is just walk through the first few uh, chapters of uh, Proverbs 1, 2, and 3 as we would in most any other text, and then we're going to kind of pause there, and we're going to look at the other major themes. It would take us a couple years probably at our rate to get through the entire book of Proverbs. So we just highlighted the major themes, the things that Proverbs talk the most about. We wanted to talk about those things and highlight them. And so we've talked about the, uh, the sluggard or slothful. Uh, last week, Jason talked about the family. We've talked about the power of our words. Um, all of these, doing a great work in my own heart and life, if I can be honest with you. I'm stirring some things in there, leading to repentance. And today we're going to talk about... Um, money. It certainly did uh, the same to me this week. And just as an overview, uh, Proverbs is a wise father talking to his son about the way of wisdom. And he's entreating or inviting the son to walk in the way of wisdom instead of the way of folly. And when it comes to money, there are two paths that we take. Again, it's a way of wisdom where we trust in what God says about money and we follow his outline for us and for our lives. It's a way of wisdom. Or we do what we want to do, and that is certainly the way of foolishness or the way of folly. And the question really, really boils down to this is can you trust God in what he says? Can you trust him? Can you, can you lean and place your weight ...on what he and his word says. I want to pray for us real quickly before we jump into this text. Father, thank you for the power of your word to transform us. Your word says of itself, it's through the foolishness of preaching. People hear the gospel. Your Holy Spirit working in their hearts and lives to move them from death into life. So, Father, we pray that your, your word would go forth and do just that. Be living and active. Divide even up to soul and spirit... The seed of your word would fall on good ground and produce a change in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Every time we come to talk about the subject of money, it's a little weird for me to be honest with you. It feels a bit self-serving to me or the church or <clears throat> like a forced conversation that, uh, that you may not have ever really wanted to have. But as we walk through scripture, you really can't avoid the topic of money. As a matter of fact, Jesus talked about money uh, more than anything else, second only to when he's talking about the kingdom of God. He talked about it a lot. And even today in our culture, maybe even more so, money has such power in our lives to lead us, um, uh, to take us off mission or to use to support the mission of God. And so that's why we're going to look at this today. Again, Proverbs talks about it, it's so much of it. We won't have time to get to all of it. We'll just kind of hit um, the top level and just the, the heart of what, um, what Proverbs says about money. 1 Timothy 6.10 says that the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. You've heard of that, right? So our loving Father Wanting the very best for us gives us a lot of guidance on how we use money as a tool and blessing instead of letting our money use us and ending up as a curse. The Old Testament describes how God's people were to use their money and share their money. As we move into the New Testament, the tone changes a bit from rules to guidelines that focus on proper perspective and proper desire when it comes to money. If the Old Testament standard was a tithe of 10% of your income, and it certainly was, Well, the New Testament didn't do away with that. What it did is it just took it another level. The New Testament standard was sacrificial giving, giving from not just the overflow of your extra, but real and sustained generosity. And the people of God have always been an incredibly generous people. Again, this is not lost on the book of Proverbs. And if you're taking notes, I would encourage you to jot some of these down. As I walk through these, it says that there are at least eight things Proverbs does that are better than money. First, peace in your home is better than money. Proverbs 17.1, better a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. Having a good name is better than money. 22.1, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches and favor better than silver or gold. Doing the right thing is better than money. 16.8 says better as is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. Saying the right thing or being honest is always better than money. 1922 says a poor man is better than a liar. Having integrity is better than having money. 28.6, better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than a rich man who is crooked in his ways. Wisdom is better than money. Proverbs 3, verse 13 through 15, blesses the one who finds wisdom, the one who gets understanding, for the gain from her is better than gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Wisdom is better than money. Having a right relationship with God is better than having money or great wealth. Proverbs fifteen sixteen better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. It's better to have Jesus and to be poor, Proverbs says, than to have this incredible wealth without him. Having a right relationship with people is better than money. 1517, better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. Do you see the point? Proverbs says, you know what's worth chasing in life? Integrity and truth and wisdom and lasting joy and purpose and confidence and real community and the wisdom of God. These things are worth chasing. These are the most important things in our life. All of these things are better than having money, Proverbs says. And none of these things can be purchased with money. And most of us would read that list and we would say, amen, pastor, I agree with that. I'm following. I'd rather, I'd rather have all those things too. But be careful because the heart is deceptive. And money is the real thing that gives us insight to what we really love and treasure. It's far beyond what we say with our mouth. It's far beyond um, what we like to think about ourselves. It really is a true test to what's really going on in our hearts What is the wisdom of God about money? The point here is to align our heart with God's in the area of money. Thinking correctly about our finances, not just our finances, maybe I should say our resources. That's the goal this morning. So I want to look at Proverbs 30 as the main text of our study. I think it's good for us because this is a trap that many of us can and might have already fallen into. This love or chasing of money and materialism. This is, says in Proverbs 30, the words of Agur, son of Jaca, the oracle. So this is a different author than Solomon. Still inspired by God. Still profitable for us, Timothy would say. Says in verse 7, two things I ask of you. This is his prayer, Agur's prayer. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. You go back, he knows the power of words that we talked about. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord, or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Now, this is a strange prayer, likely a prayer that you have never prayed before. Now, maybe you have. Basically, he says, Lord, make me lower middle class. I just want to be just right in there. Lower middle class is where I want to be. And I want to point out some pretty obvious uh, things here and some things that we do overlook. His prayer shows us a few things really under the heading of having the right perspective about money. Money's not a bad thing, and I'm not preaching a poverty theology this morning. As a matter of fact, God always uses both the rich and the poor. God blesses some people with great wealth, and some people barely make the ends meet. Jesus certainly included wealthy and the poor in his ministry. The key here, and this is kind of the, 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 where we're going, the key here is contentment. And most of us don't like that word contentment. That God has us where he wants us for the reason that he wants us. Most of us do not have contentment. We don't like that word. We live in, a, in the days of discontentment, always wanting more and better and newer. When's the last time you went to uh, Wendy's and ordered a medium drink? It is 44 ounces, uh, it, a medium. And you're like, that cannot be a medium. There's no way any human can, can drink that whole thing. I mean, it is ginormous. There, things are getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And, weird, and it's just feeding into right, our desire for more and more and more. We want more, we want better, we want newer. We continually breathe in the air of materialism and we have a tendency to always be consuming. Now most of us can't afford to live this way, bigger, newer, better, more. We can't afford to live this way so we we work longer hours, we live more stressed out lives. I read this week that the average household has $16,000 in credit card debt alone. This is not the result of some unforeseen tragedy. No, mostly this is us living lives where we're not ever content. We see it on TV, we see it on a friend, and we just got, we just got to have it. I remember when I was 18, and I opened my first credit card account, and I thought I was being wise, and I really wanted some Doc Martens that a friend of mine had, and I'd never, I'd never been to have those. Growing up, I, we, we, I didn't have $100 shoes. No, I, we bought our shoes at Solo Serve. I don't know if you even know what that is. It was like, uh, think of like Ross, like down a few notches. Everything was irregular. You would get like a size 13 and a size 10 and you just have to make it work. But you could get it for $20. Um, and that was, that was just the thing, right? My first Jabot pants came from Solo Serve. You remember Jabot? Like one leg, a lot longer than the other. Just pinned that thing up and we made it work. So, I remember getting this credit card, first Discover card, and going to buy those things. And I kind of liked that. Like, I wanted it, and I just went and got it. And so, several other things followed suit. Anything that I saw that I liked, I was 18. I had several jobs. I'll pay it off one day. And fast forward a couple years, and I met Ashley, and we got married. And I didn't tell her about the card. And she literally flipped out. She saw like a $3,500 charge. She's like, what? what is that? I see Doc Martens, baby. It lasts me a lifetime. We live in this culture of more and better and newer, and I've just got to have it if someone else has it. And because I want it so desperately, I'm not content with where I am. And so I work longer hours. I lived a more stressed-out life. I bought things I could not afford. And like the sluggard a few weeks ago, The mindset of this discontent person, and this speaks, I think, to a lot of us in this room, certainly me, I have to deal with this all the time, that we are always craving, but we're never satisfied. When it comes to money, you'll never, you'll hardly ever meet anyone who is just satisfied. I've been in rooms with people who have billions of dollars, and they've got lawyers on retainer. So that they can sue the people they need to sue. So they can get more and more and more money. Always craving but never satisfied. And we live in this culture of just this discontented lives. You know how, maybe you don't know, maybe you don't. Anytime we have to preach on something like this. I pray that God would let me preach on something with conviction. Conviction. And I was struggling in this message preparation. No one wants to preach on money. And I certainly don't want to learn the lessons I need to learn before I can preach on money. And so uh, I asked the staff to pray with me even this even this week. I took a trip out to Phoenix. Meeting with some other church planters and pastors. and I go to rent a car. And they also had a big NASCAR thing in Phoenix this weekend. They also had the... NFL game was Thursday night, and so they were out of rental cars, and so they upgraded me to a BMW X5. Have you ever driven one of those? I was going to liquidate everything I owned to have this car. I'm driving it around saying, man, this is so nice. Regretfully had to turn it in at the end of the week. I get back to the airport and climb in my 2007 truck, It wouldn't start the first time. (laughs) Man, Lord, if you'd only give me an X5. He reminds me of this. It's just so easy to be discontented by where we're at. Paul talks about this in Philippians 4, verse 11. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, he says, For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. And in every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now that verse is not just for athletes to write on their faces before a... uh, Sports, sporting event, this is within this understanding of contentment, that I'll be okay. Wherever God has me, Is not just to promote me or not just to, uh, to, to excel or to reach the next rung of the ladder, that I'm supposed to have this attitude and disposition of being content with wherever God has me, to be faithful there, to bloom where I'm planted, to know that everything is the Lord's. And this is what we see in this prayer. That he knows that everything comes from the Lord. He says, give me neither poverty nor riches. We see in his prayer this idea of contentment. God, you know what I need and you know where I'm going. So, so would, you, would you give me just what I need? The truth is, no matter what this life brings, that we can be content because of our focus is not on the stuff around us, but on the person of Jesus. That's why Paul can say this in Philippians 4, that in hunger and in plenty, that in abundance and in need, that I can be content. As a matter of fact, I can do all things through him who brings me strength. I think we see a few things about the right perspective here. First, we see in this passage that money is a spiritual issue. Agur certainly sees this. He brings God into the equation as he's praying about his money. Too much and I might forget the Lord, he says. Too little and I might profane the Lord. He's allowing the Lord to be the Lord of his finances. He sees the connection of his finances and his heart. Jesus talked about this in Matthew 6 and 7. Not to store up things here on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal but conversely we're supposed to store up treasures in heaven Now, what does that mean it means use the wisdom of God and understand that the Lord is over even our finances now we tend to think that 90% of our of our of our of our income is us is ours it's to use in what we want and 10% that's the Lord so the 10% is spiritual and the and the 90% is um, is non-spiritual or secular. We can use it how we want, but the truth is, is that it's all the Lord's. Everything, every dollar, every resource, everything is always the Lord's. And Jesus is saying in Matthew 6 and 7 that there's this direct connection between a person's heart and his finances. One pastor says, let me show you what you love if you just show me where you spend Your money. Jesus says, you want to know what a man treasures? Just look at where he spends his money. There's something so powerful about money. It might be the one thing that can so distract even the believer and rob them of joy and take them off mission. Too much money, a says, and I get proud and entitled and too little money and I'm prone to worry and not trust God and steal something. Do you see the power? That's why it's so important for us to conform and align our perspective on money with the Lord's. Ogur knows that God cares about his money is something very spiritual here. He understands that money is a spiritual issue. He also understands that money is a stewardship issue. He prays, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. He understands that God is the one who gives and takes away. All of our money is from God. As a matter of fact, Psalm tells us the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Everything. That 2007 truck I got out there is not even mine. It's the Lord's. The house that I'm in is not mine. It's the Lord's. The kids actually that I have, they're really not even mine. They're the Lord's. The ability, the gifts that God has given me to work, the skill that we've honed, the attitude that we have, everything. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. We are owners of nothing but stewards of everything. It's all his in the first place. And Agur understands this and that's why he's saying, Lord, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Maybe your passage says, feed me with the food that is my portion. I love that picture, the food that is my portion. Have you ever thought about this? It's quite powerful. Like you're praying that God would give him everything he needs to do what God has called him to do. To give him everything he needs so that he would be faithful to the ministry that God has placed in front of him. When you put God in the center of everything and see every penny as God's and you're just a steward of it, then you can be confident that God will give you everything you need to accomplish everything that he's called you to do. Again, back to Philippians 4 and verse 19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now, this is so important. This message here, and really all the messages we've talked about through the book of Proverbs, is really about faith. Do you really trust God? Do you really trust Him? This may not have happened to everybody. I remember as a young man, I must have been 10 or 11, and uh, my dad was a pastor for church, and I got my first little job gonna do some work for the church and in the front of the church there was a sidewalk and it had been grown over on both sides with uh with grass and weeds and it was on the sidewalk that went alongside a street and it was it was just gross and trash and my dad said Luke I want you to go uh work with us and we're gonna pay you and so we began to do that and begin to work and after the first day I came home and my dad gave me some cash for my work today and he said now you remember son that you know I this is the Lord's money, and I want you to use it as you want to, but you got—you need to tithe some to the Lord. And I looked at him like, like this. no, I'm not doing that. Like, this is my money. I worked hard today. My dad said, son, I just want you to trust the Lord. This is his money. It's all his anyway. You're just going to give back a portion to him. I remember praying that night. I remember placing that money in the... Uh, plate or basket or whatever we had, and as I continue to work, God just continued to bless me. Just that next week, we were still working on the same job, and I'm digging this. I'd, my dad had paid me $10, I would placed a dollar in the offering basket, and that uh, next week I'm working, and I look down, and there's a $20 bill, just sitting right there in the grass, and I picked it up, and I put it in my pocket, just so excited that God had shown himself so faithful to me, and I could tell you hundreds of stories like that in my own life where God... He's so good to us, right, to increase our faith when it comes to this. And I love that Agur is praying this. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food that is my portion. That God knows what we need. Isn't that the prayer of Matthew 6? Isn't that the prayer? Seek first the kingdom of God, and then he will give, he'll give unto you all of these things. Your, your father knows what you need. We just have to trust him. This is really an issue of faith this morning. Do you have faith? I feel like we live this life, right, with the word of God here and then just our lives and culture here. And this is important because, because we're supposed to, I mean, we are in the world but not of it. And we are supposed to do life in the world. But we also, our marching orders or our framework or our guidelines are always in God's word. And I feel like as a church, a lot of times we just lean way over to this side what our needs are, what the culture looks like, the materialism, and we just don't put very much weight on what God's word really says. We're still familiar with it. We're still somewhat dabbling in it. This is what it speaks of in in James. It says that we shouldn't be double-minded. And I think what the word of God is calling us to do is to place our weight on him. All our chips to the center of the table. God, you are everything, and I trust you. And that doesn't mean that we're way over here and that we don't have any understanding of what culture is. We're not withdrawing from the world, but we are placing our weight on God's infallible word to us. And as his Holy Spirit works to make it come to life even in us, dividing even among the soul and spirit. Verse 19 in Philippians 4, that God will supply every one of our needs according to his riches. Do you believe that? And this is really important. God wants to use his children as a conduit to bless other people. Remember, a is saying that money is a stewardship issue. God wants to use his children as a conduit to bless others. God has all the money in the world. It's all his. And he's looking for those who live lives with open hands to whom he can bless more and more and through he can continue to bless others. Every time we get a raise or an unexpected blessing, a check in the mail we didn't expect, the first thing we should do is ask God, God, who needs this money? Why are you blessing me through this? Who who is this for? Psalm 67, verse 6 and 7 says that God blesses us so that we can be a blessing to others. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us so that the ends of the earth will fear him. The ends of the earth. Small caveat here that this is really just not about money as we look at it, or dollars and cents. It's really about anything that God has entrusted to us, our health, our talent, our ability, our homes, our resources, our kids, even our own lives. Every single thing that we have, every dollar, every day, every bit of health is on loan to us from God. He has given us everything that we have so that we would use it to accomplish what God has called us to. To do. Let me ask you this question. Do you view your resources that way? That's all God's? Every bit of it. And that he's entrusted it to you, certainly to be a blessing to you and to meet your needs? Absolutely. I'm not saying that you shouldn't do that. I'm not even saying that you shouldn't use it for fun things. I'm just saying that one day we are going to stand before God and give an account for how we stewarded his resources. I don't know where we kind of get this as a church that we'll never give an account for these things. Scripture teaches of two judgments, the great white throne judgment, which all the believers will not be a part of because of Jesus Christ, our advocate. We won't stand before God in that way, but we will give an account for everything we did. For every resource that he's entrusted to us, every dollar that's come through our hands, all the kids that live in our homes, everything that we have, we'll give an account if we used it right to further the kingdom of God, if we used it responsibly, if we stewarded it well. That's the very reason it's in our hands. So it's a spiritual issue, Aguirre says. It's a stewardship issue and then Really, lastly, it, it can be a really dangerous issue. Aguirre knows that too much money could actually ruin him. Again, this is not lost on the rest of the Proverbs. Proverbs eleven twenty eight 28 says, Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green Whoever trusts in his riches, whoever leans over onto this other side of culture and our own ability, whoever whoever puts their weight here, certainly one day they're going to fall. If you woke up tomorrow to find out your savings account had been emptied, what you do next might really reveal where your heart is. If you get an unexpected bill in the mail tomorrow, does complete panic break out, or is this assurance that God loves me and He's going to meet my needs? That might show you which side you're really trusting in. Proverbs eighteen eleven says, "A rich man's wealth is his strong city, and like a high wall in his imagination." That it's just your imagination. Millions of dollars in your bank account is not going to help you one bit one day when you stand before the Lord and give an account of how you stewarded his resources. Several years ago, in 2009, there was a money manager who invested the wealth of many of Europe's royal and leading families. He lost $1.4 billion of his client's money in Madoff's Ponzi scheme, and as a result, Killed himself in his Madison Avenue office. His wealth provided an illusion of protection, but it disappeared overnight. Just a year before, when the market dropped suddenly, hundreds of people committed suicide because their strong city was destroyed. Something that's a bit harder to see is the thousands and hundreds of thousands who've ignored the most important things in life all the while chasing money. Something that in the end will never satisfy. Money can be a really dangerous thing. You remember the encounter Jesus had with the rich young ruler who came up and seemed so joyfully to say, good teacher, how will I? inherit eternal life. Jesus, of course, knew him very well. He said, well, you've got to keep the commandments, to which he boasts very quickly. I've done that as a kid, but Jesus saw into his heart. He loved the things he had. He was defined by the things that he had. And so Jesus said, you know what? Go sell all your possessions and give it to the poor and then come and follow me. And he was unwilling to take a step. And I think the truth is, and it might not be money per se, but when we dig down deep enough in any of our lives, there's, there often comes this non-negotiable with God. Like, God, I want to follow you, and, and I want to be a, your disciple as long as the cost seems reasonable to me. As long as you don't ask me to give up too much. As long as you don't, you don't require too much of me. And Jesus says, no, no. You just can't come that way. That's why he uses the illustration of taking up your cross and following me. It's everything. It's total commitment. He says it's the one-handed plow. No one, he says, is fit to, me, fit to be my disciple if he puts his hand to the plow and looks back on everything else. And he is calling even for us for this wholehearted following and discipleship of pressing into him and pressing all our chips to the center of the table. Not hedging our bet, saying, Jesus, I want you more than everything else in the world. That's what Paul again says in 1 Timothy 6, the verse I read earlier. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. We know that. Look at the next one. The rest of verse 10. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Paul's saying this is a legitimate, dangerous thing. There's going to be some people, he says here, right who have walked in the faith it cost a lot for people to walk in the faith in this early day it often cost them their lives and Paul says you know what there's some people who followed after even through the danger who followed after the way placed their faith in Jesus but ultimately they exposed themselves they pierced themselves it says because they craved other things this is a real danger And having this false sense of trust and money and a real danger in chasing money that literally caused these people to wander away from the faith, exposing that they were never really trusting God in the first place. Paul to young Timothy, a gear to us this morning, warning us against loving and chasing after things that in the end don't really matter. We have got to get a proper Perspective, And here's, I wish we could go through this. The, the book of Luke, he talk, Jesus talks about it 30 or 40 times. Go read through the Gospel of Luke if you really want to see what Jesus' heart is here. He's addressing the Pharisees one time who, who are, are so committed to tithing that they go out in their garden and they break off bits of herbs and plants that they're growing out there to bring into the temple. They, they have a tithing heart but not a generous heart. And he looked at them and said, you know what, you're clean on the outside and you're doing everything right on the outside. You're doing all the things, but your heart is wicked and it's not right. And hear my heart this morning, church. We can do all the things out of duty, and we can come in and we can sing the right songs and we can even give our money and we can show up at community group and huddle. We can literally do all the things with our hearts still being wicked and far from God. And that's the point of Proverbs. The, the wise father to the son, he says, listen, seek wisdom above all else. Don't just go through the religious things. The gospel is so much better than that. And my hope and our hope, we've been praying this as a staff, is that you would really see it, that the lights would come on. It would be this inner joy. Psalm 1611 says, In God's presence is the fullness of joy, and at his right hand are the pleasures forevermore. You, will pleasures, then seek the heart of the Father, be transformed by the heart of the Father. It is so miserable to go through life just jumping through all the hoops so that you can be accepted or because you're supposed to. There's something so freeing and so liberating when your heart is changed. And then you want to step out in faith. You're not forced to step out in faith. It's possible for us even in here this morning to have the discipline of tithing but our hearts be so far from God not having a heart of generosity. It's possible to follow the rules and not have a heart that is joyfully transformed and submits to King Jesus. And money helps us see past our heart's own deception sometimes. I wear this little uh, bracelet. It's a Fitbit. A lot of you have these. And um, it's just brutally honest with me. Um, I get to the end of the day sometimes and I'm like driving past the gym and I'm like, oh, I don't need to go work out. I've I've walked a lot today and I look in here and it's like couch potato is all it says. Like I've just done nothing. I've taken 500 steps. It's just brutally, brutally honest. I think that's what money does for us. It's, It's like a monitor that exposes where our treasure really is. I love this whole thing, this whole prayer figure. I'm going to end with this. The whole prayer. It's your desired personal faithfulness. Look at the reason that he asked for all this. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you. His heart in this prayer was personal faithfulness. Can I ask you this, church? Is that your heart? Personal faithfulness? In the end, it won't matter what you owned, but it will matter who owned you. Have you given your heart and life to him? Have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Can you say to God this morning that, God, I want you more than riches, I want you more than wealth. I want you more than fame. I want you more than comfort, no matter what the cost. It's the treasure hidden in the field that the man found and went and liquidated everything he had. And with joy, he goes to buy the field because in the field contained the treasure. And Jesus says, that's what it's like to be a part of the kingdom of God. That you liquidate all these things that don't really matter and you trade them in for this treasure that never fades. We're going to take communion this morning in just a minute. And I'll give you some time for you to just pray. For me doing all the talking up here, we'll just have a few minutes of quiet. And you can ask God to really reveal where your heart is. In His kindness, He leads us to repentance. And it's because of the work of Jesus that we don't have to earn or prove anything this morning. We don't have to even give out of guilt or obligation but from a place of joy and communion reminds us of that every week that Jesus gave everything so that we might be his. I'm going to pray for us and give you some time where you're at to pray. I'll be in the back if you'd like to pray with me. And when you're ready, you can just come and partake in communion. Father, thank you for the gift of your word. Lord, how we need it, your word says that our hearts are deceptive above all else, and that's true, and I've seen that in my own heart and life again and again. So we open your word, and it reads us more than we read it. And Holy Spirit, you're working in the lives of men and women, and even in teenagers and boys and girls that are in here, pointing them to Jesus, the Holy Spirit pointing us, it's Jesus, it's Jesus, it's Jesus. In Jesus, we call out to you, and you just point us to the heart of the Father. It's all about the Father, the Father, the Father. So, Father, I pray that your church would move from a sense of duty to a joyful delight. We don't have to give or be generous, but we get to. And as, as you change our hearts, we become generous people. And not just from the overflow, but sacrificing our lives and our comforts and our money so that the ends of the earth may know you. What if there's any in this room that haven't placed their faith and trust in you, I pray that they would take a step of faith today. Maybe there's some that have been tight-fisted and they don't want to give anything, any of their finances up, up to you. Maybe they would take a step of faith and open the hands this morning. Maybe some are walking through incredibly difficult financial trial. Father, I pray that you would help them trust you. You will supply all their needs. That we would be content people taking steps of faith. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. Take your time and pray, and you come when you're ready. You don't have to be a member here to participate in communion, but Scripture says you do have to be part of the family of God. You have to have trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and desire to follow Him in obedience. So if that's you, we welcome you to come, and you come when you're ready. Um, and then after that, we'll sing a little bit, and we've got some other things planned at the end.